you are Locked On Saints, your daily New Orleans Saints podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is good, Houdet Nation and Houdet family? Welcome into this Wednesday edition of Locked On Saints, brought to you by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ross Jackson here at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A on Twitter, editor over at CanalStreetChronicles.com and your host covering your New Orleans Saints every single Monday through Friday. Today's episode of Locked On Saints is brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market. I promise you that, but you can see for yourself by visiting BuiltBar.com and be sure to use the promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first box. So on today's show, since I got into a great conversation on Twitter yesterday, I wanted to take a moment to break down wide receiver Maurice Harris for y'all a bit. He signed with the Saints back in January to reserve future deal. He's going to be a part of that wide receiver camp battle later on in the summer. We'll take a look at his career so far, his tape and his fit to start the show. And then we're going to wrap up with segments two and three featuring Q Myers from over at the Lockdown Raiders podcast. We just had so much fun that we had to do two segments for y'all talking about each team's offseason, the draft, and of course, clowning a bunch about Eli Apple and Ken Crawley. We got all that and a little bit of land yet for you on today's episode of Locked on Saints, your team every day. Wide receiver Maurice Harris may not have the most popular name when it comes to discussing the upcoming training camp battle at the wide receiver position, but he certainly should be on every Saints fans list as a potential dark horse to run away with a roster spot. That's our New Orleans Saints lead story of the day today with Ross Jackson of Locked on Saints. So Maurice Harris came into the league undrafted in 2016, came out of Cal Berkeley, same alma mater as a 2011 draft pick and one of the better defensive linemen in the NFL, Cameron Jordan. He signed with Washington as an undrafted free agency was there in 2016, 2017, and finally really got his way out onto the field in 2018, where he had his best season, even though the only touchdown catch of his career actually came the year before in 2017 on a remarkable one-handed touchdown catch against the Vikings. In 2019, things changed for him a little bit, got a one-year contract with the New England Patriots, but unfortunately ended up on injured reserve and eventually was released with an injury settlement. So he didn't play at all in 2019 to get an opportunity to follow up that 2018 of his but now he's on a future reserve contract with New Orleans that was signed back in January which essentially means that he's guaranteed a spot for camp and I'm very excited to see him in camp and I think a lot of people might turn their nose up to him simply because of the fact that you look at his 2018 stats and to be completely honest they're not super impressive 28 catches 304 yards to 10.86 yard per catch average no receiving touchdowns and only a 59.6 percent catch rate however there's some context here that's very very important those uh, 28 receptions that he had came off of 47 different targets that's 19 incomplete passes of those 19 incomplete passes nine of them as I watched through his film I watched every single one of them it were either overthrown or too far outside of his frame for him to do anything some of them were out of bounds a couple of them uh, three of them were actually batted at the line of scrimmage three of them were also interceptions so of the 19 you can already find just in interceptions overthrown passes and batted passes at the line of scrimmage 
15 different throws uh, that that led to those incompletions on his stats. So I'm not too worried about that catch rate because he only has one drop in his short career. And that came in the last game that he played, which was the week 15 game for Washington against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, if you look at the meaningful snaps that he took in 2018, there's more context to be found here, particularly with quarterback play. He took most of those snaps between weeks four and 15. He caught 27 of his 28 passes before week 12. Week 11, where he caught his final pass until he didn't catch a pass again until the very last week of the season, which was the only other catch he would have on the year, came from Alex Smith. But week 11 was the week that Alex Smith got his severe, terrible injury and hasn't been back on the football field ever since. After that, Maurice Harris was getting targets from Colt McCoy, Mark Sanchez, and Josh Johnson. So he hasn't really played with a super accurate quarterback the likes of Drew Brees, for instance. So Drew Brees would clearly be and easily far and away would be the most accurate and the best quarterback that he got the opportunity to work with. Nine targets came after week 11 for Maurice Harris in that 2018 season. And again, most of them uncatchable or picked off. In fact, two of them, two of those nine were intercepted. Now, when you look at how he fits in this offense, so we've sort of filled in the context of why you shouldn't be too concerned about his stats of the past, because it's not really going to affect what he's going to look like in the present. Let's talk a little bit about what he would look like. What is his fit with a team where he's going to probably be at best the number five, potentially number six wide receiver. Well, he's a good third down threat, runs a lot of in-breaking routes very well, the in-routes, dig routes, if you will, drag routes, over routes, comebacks, things that are sort of zone beaters where you could just find a pocket in the zone, read that, sit pretty, and then catch a pass that's coming at him before he even comes out of his route now that he's with Drew Brees, assuming he gets an opportunity with Drew Brees. That's something that the Saints love and those types of timing routes and things like that. You saw that between Maurice Harris and Alex Smith before Alex Smith was hurt. So there's a clear fit there. You've also seen him take a couple of screen passes as well. Washington loved taking advantage of his return uh, experience and sort of getting him available in open space. We know the Saints love to be able to run screens with just about anybody on their offense, how they did it with Josh Hill. They could certainly do it with a guy like Maurice Harris at six foot three, just over 200 pounds and ran a four five coming into the NFL just a few years ago. He only had two catches in 2018 that were less than five yards. So you can see him as somebody that you can look at on third down and short. Some that could be a red zone threat as well, especially with that size, athleticism, and the reliable hands that he packs as well. So I'm absolutely looking forward to seeing Maurice Harris battle it out in camp because I think he possesses the tools, the NFL experience, and the potential to win a spot on the Saints 53-man roster and very much deserves to be in the conversation for somebody as a top contender to join that wide receiver room in 2020. All right, so that's my spiel on Maurice Harris. I'm very much looking forward to seeing him compete in camp and hopefully work himself into the opportunity that he hasn't gotten before to actually work with an elite quarterback and a quarterback that will help him do the things that he already does pretty well, even better in terms of running in a timing efficient offense, sort of like the communication that Harris once had with Alex Smith before Alex Smith got hurt. So very excited to watch him, but I just wanted to make sure that I got to talk about him a little bit more in depth for those of you that maybe weren't so familiar with him. And also for those of you that might have justifiably been a little bit put off by his statistics about why you shouldn't be too worried about that. Let's see what 
what he can do in New Orleans. So excited to see him get to work and excited for the rest of this episode. It's going to be myself and Q Myers from over at Locked on Raiders continuing our AFC West crossover here on Locked on Saints. So you're going to hear a little bit of Raiders. You're going to hear a lot of Saints. You're going to hear a lot of fun. And I think that's the most important part here as we begin an early preview to what I believe for me is one of the most highly anticipated matchups uh, when it comes to the Saints 2020 season. We got that coming up for you next year on Locked on Saints, your team every day. You know, it was actually only a couple of days ago that I heard about the idea that one of the easiest ways to muscle your way through eating a protein bar is by microwaving it for a recommended amount of seconds, which is just horrible. And that's just terrible. And that's why I'm so grateful for Built Bars. Built Bars, built like a candy bar, soft, chewy, easy to eat. They're not going to get stuck all up in your teeth, start building up cavities while you're trying to build up muscle. You ain't got to worry about all that. They're covered in chocolate, but man, they're fantastic for you. Seven times less sugar, which is huge for me because I hate sugary protein bars that just drive me nuts as I try to force feed my way through them. I don't have to worry about that with these. Built Bars are fantastic and they are without a doubt the most delicious and tasty bar on the market. You have to experience it yourself, and we're going to help you do that. Head over to BuiltBar.com, order your first box of Built Bars, use the promo code LOCKEDON, all caps, all one word, for $10 off of your first box at BuiltBar.com. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first box at BuiltBar.com. All right, Q, glad to be with you, man. Uh, the Saints and the Raiders, I think, both had very successful off-seasons. The Raiders not only bringing in a ton of new faces, but also maintaining a lot of in-house free agents. The Saints sort of doing the same thing in terms of, you know, their focus is always maintaining the in-house guys. But these drafts were very similar, too. So let's start off with the Raiders off-season a little bit. Uh, maybe talk to me a little bit about maybe some of the key additions for the Raiders and uh, sort of what it is that you're looking forward to heading in. And maybe if there's anything left that they need to address as well well you know I was really excited by the offseason that the Raiders had particularly before the draft I thought they did a really really good job addressing a lot of their needs mm-hmm. and making themselves a lot more flexible during the draft because I think everybody and their mother knew that okay the Raiders need to go and get a wide receiver or two <laughs> and they need to go and get linebackers you know right. I mean that was that was obvious well the good thing that they were able to do is they were able to get linebackers during the, uh, the offseason during free agency, and they went and got a Corey Littleton, who basically a lot of folks were saying was linebacker one, and then they got Nick Wachowski from the Bears, who a lot of folks considered linebacker two or three. And so uh, they got two really good players to, to help, you know, s- settle and uh, solidify that linebacking room because it was bad, man. It was atrocious. It really was. It was it was something that needed to be addressed. They, they got that fixed, and so it didn't mean that they immediately had to go and get a Kenneth Murray or a Patrick Queen mm-hmm. or, you know, trade up for an Isaiah Simmons. I mean, they had flexibility, and so I think that that was a key to be able to get those guys in a free agency and just not be as predictable in the draft. And, uh, you know, I think another addition that they got in, the, in free agency that was really, really good was the addition of Marcus Mariota, you know, the, mm-hmm. the backup quarterback from Tennessee. He got uh, he got played in Tennessee, basically. I mean, Ryan Tannehill goes over there, and Mariota doesn't play well and doesn't perform, and so they, they break the glass on, on the emergency case and, and uh, bring in Tannehill. He does really good and gets them into the, the playoffs, even though they rode the, the legs of Derrick Henry. But, I mean, either way, I mean, he still guided the ship, and so he gets a contract extension. Mariota's a free agent, and I think that the Raiders are following that blueprint. I think if you look around the league, and, and you know very well in New Orleans, <laughs> if you look around the league, you're looking at quarterbacks that are, are, are you know, previous starters. And it's, it's important to have a guy 
that can start and come in and win you a game if your starter goes down. And I think that's what the Saints did, and I know that's what the Raiders did. Yeah, absolutely, man. One of my one of my sort of sleeper free agent additions for the the Raiders right now is Malik Collins. I like Malik Collins a lot, and the Saints in particular. They went out and they got themselves one of those types of guys last year, and a Malcolm Brown that ended up being huge for that uh, def- that interior defensive line. And so I really like that addition. But those other additions that you mentioned, you know, for you know a Nick Kwiatkowski, a Corey Littleton, a Marcus Mariota, definitely huge ads for the Raiders. And it's funny because the Saints were kind of in a similar position to the Raiders going into the offseason in terms of the two positions that were being called the, you know, the the most need you know that were called as the most needed to improve were wide receiver and linebacker while the Raiders addressed theirs in free agency with linebacker and then addressed theirs very very well the wide receiver need in the draft the Saints sort of did the opposite they went Emmanuel Sanders who uh, you know very well of course yes. out in the AFC West uh, with uh, you know in terms of the wide receiver need and then were able to land Zach Bond at pick 74 in the draft so let's talk a little bit about the draft here, the Saints and the Raiders had pretty similar draft approaches for a little bit. The Saints were ready to dip after 105, and then the Raiders pretty much did dip after what was it, the 130s, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah. What what yep. was it about? Was there was there a focus with the Raiders like it was for the Saints where they wanted to get started with undrafted free agency, or was it just all about quality over quantity? I think it was just quality over quantity, to be 100% honest. I thought there was a few opportunities, and Mike Mayock, the GM, he mentioned it a few times that they had a few opportunities to trade back, but they weren't sure that they were going to get their guys, you know, and to get a guy like John Simpson, the guard from Clemson in the fourth round, and Amik Robertson, you know, defensive back from uh, La Tech in the fourth round, that was huge, you know, and this is one thing that that I've been telling a a lot of folks, and I've been really, and I really do believe this, and and you can correct me if, if you feel like I'm wrong, it's all good, but I feel like this year in particular, it's really important to get your guys and, and make sure that they're in camp and make sure that they, they kind of get their toes wet as far as the NFL goes. But I think that this year is going to be a very veteran heavy year. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like guys that know what they're doing are going to outshine these rookies. Uh, these guys are going to be able to get in there and actually play and, and do, you know, the, the heavy lifting. And so the expectations I believe this year for rookies in general are going to be a lot less because we don't know with this pandemic, when OTAs are going to start, when training camp's going to start. I mean, yep. the Saints ain't doing nothing until training camp. I mean, that's right. already been said. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So, I mean, you can't really expect a, a rookie to go in there and be a stud immediately. You're going to have to lean heavily on the on the, uh, on the the veterans. And so I think that's one reason why the Raiders didn't worry about getting into the fifth, sixth, seventh rounds because, well, these guys, they expect to make the team, and, and that's good, but they're going to lean heavily on the on the vets. And I feel like the Saints are doing the same. I mean, they only had a handful of picks. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. The focus for New Orleans has been from the very beginning, that quality over quantity type of a conversation, because for the Saints, not really a lot of spots available on this roster, because as you mentioned, those veterans are going to come back and reclaim their spots. They did a really good job holding up their starting lineups on both the offensive and defensive side, just a handful of guys that didn't return that were starters. And one of those guys actually retired. So, you know, what are you going to do about that? But when it comes down to the draft, it was really all about getting the guys that they felt like actually had a clear path to the roster. And then they traded back into the draft in the seventh round because, man, look, Sean Payton just can't not be petty. He just, he, <laughs> he, he has to do it. You know what I'm saying? Tommy Stevens was not a need on this team at all, but Sean Payton knew that he was going to go to uh, an NFC, NFC South rival in the Carolina Panthers and said, nah, not so fast. 
and then traded up, traded back to the draft, grabbed him, and then literally texted uh, Joe Brady over at the Carolina Panthers, not so fast. So, you know, Sean Payton really just did that just to be petty. But honestly, he's somebody that still fits a, a potential role for the Saints in the future if Taysom Hill moves forward to become the starting quarterback next year or ends up off the team at some point for whatever reason, then you still have a guy that could serve a similar role in a bigger, I would say, actually a bigger frame than what Taysom Hill brings to the table. So it's really interesting to see them really kind of like move back into the draft to grab that versatile guy. And the Raiders got their own versatile guy as well. Uh, Do you mind talking a little bit about what you've heard so far about Lynn Bowden Jr.? A lot of Saints fans were very excited about him in this draft, would have loved to have seen him in a Sean Payton system. What is the plan with a guy like this that has all of the potential that he carries? I think the plan is to do everything with him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right, right. If if he can do everything, then let him do everything. I mean, really, I honestly believe that that they have themselves a Swiss Army knife that they feel like they they can put in a lot of different positions, and he can shine because that's what he's used to doing. Now they announced him when they drafted him as a running back. Mm-hmm. You know, and he he had over fourteen hundred yards last year at Kentucky. Uh, he's done some, some wide receiver. I know Lewis Riddick from ESPN was saying that he felt he was going to end up in the slot. But I think that they're going to get more versatile with him. I think they're going to be able to line him up in the slot, put him as a as a running back, make him a compliment to Josh Jacobs. Also, you know, put him in the wildcat formation. Mm-hmm. I just find a way to get him the ball because when he was needed in a major way to take over games, he was able to do that. And I don't think that you're just going to walk into the NFL and take over games, but you can contribute. You know, right, guys right, know how right. to play. Guys know how to do what they do. When they get in between the lines, they know what's got them there. So I think that he's going to be a a major asset. I think that John Gruden and Mike Mayock, when you look back at the draft, they really said, you know what, this offense that everybody's talked about has been so predictable and it's been so cookie cutter and so everyone knows what's happening. You're going to run, 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 and then all of a sudden you're going to dump it off, whatever. This offense has the ability. Now they got to go do it. They have the ability to get really creative and advanced. Obviously something that all Saints fans know about because Sean Payton's one of the best offensive wizards in the league. So you already know about being able to use multiple guys in multiple ways and really get creative with (laughs) offense. I think John Gruden is going to fast forward to 2020, 2021, and get more advanced by the products and the, the players he was able to bring in by way of the draft. Yeah, absolutely, man. No, I think that it is going to be something very, very fun to watch to see exactly how they get him rolled in and how they get it going. And I'm excited to see him in that system. Uh, another player that I'm excited to see in the system over there, of course, is Henry Ruggs third. You know, when you look through this draft that the that the Raiders put together, um, you know, I got a lot of flack from from some of my listeners because Lynn Bowden, Brian Edwards, Tanner Muse, John Simpson, and Amik Robertson were all guys that I was like, yo, they'd be so good in the Saint system, man. They'd be a really good fit. <laughs> And then they all ended up in Oakland or they all ended up in Las Vegas. And so now you look at a guy like Henry Ruggs, who, of course, was way out of the Saints reach as far as I'm concerned. Uh, He was the top wide receiver off the board. What does having him in Las Vegas do for this offense? Well, you know, it's funny. I thought because the Raiders, when they had the opportunity to to draft a wide receiver, I knew that they were going to get a wide receiver at 12. I had already convinced myself that that was going to be the call. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I thought it was going to be CeeDee Lamb. I thought that that was Mm going to be the call just because of the offense that we've seen from John Gruden. You know, I mean, we haven't seen the high-flying, fast-paced Kansas City Chiefs-type Tyreek Hill offense from him. 
I know he doesn't have he didn't have the guys, but I just haven't seen him even from the first time he was the the Raiders head coach. It's just kind of his style, and, and it's to catch the ball and get the yards after the catch. And so I didn't think that Ruggs was going to be the guy. I thought it would mm-hmm. be Ceedee Lamb or Jerry Judy. Well, I was wrong, and that's cool. <laughs> it was Henry Ruggs. They got the fastest wide receiver. Al Davis would be very very proud. The thing about it. He is not only a very fast guy, but he's a really, really good wide receiver. So I think, getting back to your question, I think it opens up the offense tremendously for everybody. I mean, when I'm talking everybody, I mean Josh Jacobs. He doesn't have to worry about the the box being loaded anymore. You know, he can run against a true box. Now, Darren Waller doesn't have to worry about a safety shading him because, well, now they got to worry about the speed of rugs. He doesn't have to necessarily go deep all the time, but you have to respect his speed and ability to get deep. So I think he's going to live, and I think he's going to get a lot of, of burn by way of, you know, crossing patterns and slants. And, I mean, if you see the back of his jersey, you can pretty much kiss it goodnight. You know what I mean? He's going to be gone. <laughs> That's that's the one thing you don't want to do, right? You don't want to see the back of, uh, of Henry Ruggs' jersey. If you do, he's probably going to score. And so there's so many opportunities for Derek Carr to get the ball out of his hand quickly and get it in the Ruggs' hands, and then, boom, it's just yards after the catch. I think in the red zone it opens up as well just because you don't know he can he can hand the ball off to him. He can put it mm-hmm. in, you know, an end around. I mean, there's so many different things that speed will do for you. And if you have a really good football player, not just a track guy, but a good football player, then it could benefit you. So, you know, kind of going back to the weapons I was talking about, you got Ruggs in that speed. You mm-hmm. got Brian Edwards in the big size. You got Bowden Jr. with the, the, the Swiss Army knife ability. Right. I mean, there's – I mean, what else can you not do? You know right. what I mean? <laughs> there's – there's almost no reason for this offense not to be exciting. You know, if this offense is not exciting and if they don't do a lot better than they've done the past couple seasons, something went terribly wrong. All right, y'all. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and it means it's time to start the competition with people important in your mom's life. Yes, I love me some good competition, and especially when it comes to gift giving. Mother's Day is her Super Bowl, so celebrate this Mother's Day by scoring her favorite gift of the day. Your mom will be able to travel in her mind to idyllic India, sample the food, and laugh at the tribulations that come with raising a teenager in 1950s India through a new book of fiction called The Henna Artist. By the way, it's Reese Witherspoon's book club's pick for May, then any time in May, post a picture of you or your mom holding that ebook or even the hard copy book on Instagram or Facebook and tag the author at the Alkajoshi and a donation of four meals per post up to 10,000 meals will go to Feeding America. So everybody, buy The Henna Artist today at your favorite bookseller, including Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Walmart, Costco, and Target, and make mom the ultimate winner of your family. Where where could that possibly go wrong? Is that a conversation of who's under center? Is that a coaching thing? Is that a game plan thing? Where where would that have to go wrong in order for it to go wrong at all? Cuz I I have a hard time seeing this really going the way of let's say the Cleveland Browns, right? To where they had all those weapons but then couldn't make it work. I I think of the Raiders in a, a as a franchise that's in a better position than the Browns were when they loaded up. This feels like a team that has the ability to do it, but if there was going to be something in the way, what would it be? You know, it's funny. Most people would say it would be Derek Carr. And, you know, because he's easy to just pile up on and say he's not a very good quarterback. Right, right. I saw him get better in 2019 with the Raiders. I saw him put up some good numbers. And, you know, sometimes numbers could be skewed and make you feel a certain type of way or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I saw him continue to get better. And I think now that he has some weapons around him, he'll be able to show what he can really do in John Gruden's offense. I would think if there's something that's going to slow this team down and this offense down from really being successful – I would look at the sideline. You know, I really would. I would Mm -hmm. look at the sideline and say, John Gruden's not using 
the weapons correctly. And I don't think that that's going to be the case. I mean, I, I want to put it out there first before anyone says that you don't believe in the coach. It's not that. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely do. But this is one of the reasons I thought C.D. Lamb was going to be the pick because I, I felt he fit better in Gruden's offense, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so I kept saying Ruggs could be the best wide receiver in this draft if you're going to use him to the best of his abilities. So my biggest thing is I'm not going to go to the store or to the car dealership and buy a Ferrari and I'm not gonna and then I'm not gonna drive the kids to school in it. You know what right, I mean? Like I'm right, not absolutely. I'm not gonna do I'm not gonna go to the grocery store in the Ferrari. I'm gonna get the Ferrari out on the highway and I'm gonna let that thing rip. If you're gonna let it rip, then you've got the right guy. But right. if you're gonna, you know, drive twenty five mile an hour in the school in the schoolyard <laughs> and whatever in the school zone, you've got the wrong vehicle. You know that's I mean? such a so, fantastic analogy dude that's so perfect <laughs> i mean is it not i mean it's perfect right <laughs> i mean if, if feel stuff. free to use it anytime you want you can have i appreciate that, that. <laughs> i appreciate that i think the saints need to find a ferrari first but once they do i'll be sure to put that in there because the saints definitely stick with a little bit more especially right now with drew Brees being the aging quarterback and all that narrative and everything like that right now the focus is very much on short intermediate routes guys that can create separation guys that are route runners and everything like that and there's so there's certainly a little bit of maybe a more station wagon appeal to the Saints right. offense in terms of the type of talent that they bring in. But it's still, I don't know, can you call a station wagon? Is, there, is it possible for a station wagon to be electrifying in a way? Because they can still be electrifying, you know what I'm saying? But definitely staying yeah. away from maybe like the Ferrari far left lane type of a uh, type of a drive right now in that offense. But still loading up and making sure that they give Drew Brees the weapons that he needs in order to be able to hopefully be able to ride off in the sunset after this 2020 season, which I assume will be his final season in the NFL. Uh, with the Lombardi Trophy and with that second Super Bowl ring. And, 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 you know, it feels like that the Saints have been so close the last couple seasons. Like, mm-hmm. you felt like they were on that that road that they, okay, they're going to be playing in the Super Bowl. They're, this past year, I thought they're going to be in Miami. The year before that, I thought they were going to be in Atlanta. I don't have to go back and rehash why they weren't. But either right. way, I mean, there's, there's so many uh, – this team has so much ability. And Sean Payton, you're never going to go against him. Drew Brees obviously going to walk into the Hall of Fame when he wants to. It looks like from paper and from a distance, the weapons are there, especially with the addition of Emmanuel Sanders. Have the run game with Kamara. Have uh, Murray there, obviously. Uh, Cook, Jared Cook, Michael Thomas. I mean, those guys, it feels like the weapons are there. What are the Saints? Are they missing something right now that they need to get them over the hump? I think they're in a really good place right now. And to where the big conversation when you talk about what the Saints are missing, you're starting to del- delve into a little bit more of the depth conversation. And okay. unfortunately for the Saints, because they have dealt with injuries at some pretty key spots all along this team, particularly within the trenches, the depth gets exposed a little bit more often than you'd like. It's okay when you know that your team is deep because you have a deep rotation, but you don't want to find out that your team has depth because of the fact that you're having to recover from injury. You know, it's a little bit of a different mentality in that way. And so for me, that depth and where those biggest issues are right now, or really the biggest question marks, let me say, are right now, are depth at the boundary corner because behind Marshawn Lattimore and Janoris Jenkins, they don't really have anybody back there as another boundary guy if one of those guys ends up being injured or not being able to go for some reason. Uh, same thing along the defensive interior. They have a lot of bodies, but I would like greater quality. I would love to see some greater quality there. And then the other one that I would mention, because they're really working on the offensive line right now, I usually pick on the offensive line, but w- the way that they've gone in the draft and what they've done in, in free agency, as well as even on drafted free agency, uh, they've done a really good job job at 
putting themselves in positions where hopefully they can find somebody on the offensive line. But the other place on the defensive line is a third pass rusher and a third edge rusher. That's something that they were really invested in finding earlier on last season. They weren't able to get Robert Quinn. They weren't able to sign Ezekiel Anza. And then now they're basically in the exact same place now that they were last year when they were searching for a third guy. So I'm interested to see with a guy like, let's say, Everson Griffin on the market, if they end up still trying to address that position uh, once they've sort of settled down a little bit into where they want to be heading into the quote-unquote training camp in July. Well, you got to feel pretty good that they don't have uh, Eli Apple in the secondary anymore. Uh, I, I can I, say the same for you, my brother. <laughs> yes, exa- that's exactly what I was about to say, man. I feel like the Raiders dodged a huge bullet by not signing Eli Apple. No, absolutely, man. Uh, he's somebody that... I tried to believe in for a very long time, much to the behest of many people that listen to me uh, and everything. But I really tried to give him the sort of, you know, uh, I, I guess the better doubt and whatever. But it, it just didn't work out for him. And, and the poor guy, I mean, you know, first round talent coming into the league, didn't really get it going in New York, had flashes in New Orleans, but was never able to be consistent. And then got injured toward the end of the season, too, which didn't help him. Uh, do you know what it is that ended up being the issue between the Raiders and Eli Apple and why that? That, uh, why that deal didn't get done? Uh, I hope it was me. You know, I think it was me. <laughs> I mean, because the minute the minute that they said and they announced that they were going to come to an agreement with Eli Apple, I said, man, everything they've done this offseason has been really, really good. But that is the worst. That is the one move I cannot get excited about. And I'm like you. I like to give guys the benefit of the doubt because mm-hmm. sometimes maybe a change of scenery helps a guy. But I'll tell you, man, coming out of Ohio State, I knew he wasn't that great. You know, I, just, I knew it. And when he was with the Giants, he was he was awful. And then he had, you know, had mom getting in all the business. And I never liked when the parent gets involved and everything. It had right, her popping right. off on Twitter. And I'm like, oh, no, that's the last drama that uh, the Raiders need in Vegas. And so when that uh, that deal got got basically squashed, I thought, yes, they heard me somehow. My That's negative great. energy, and I'm not too negative, but my negative energy on that one got to him. And, <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't really know. They said they just couldn't come to an agreement. I don't know if it was money, if it was a physical. I don't know. But I'm just glad that he's not there. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's all good moving forward for me. That's good. I'll tell you one thing, though. Uh, keep that energy rolling uh, to make sure that the Raiders get Amik Robertson out on that field before they ever – ever put King Crawley in a situation where he has to line up across from somebody. Because I know the Raiders also signed away King Crawley. And as much as I tried to give Eli Apple the shadow, the, the benefit of the doubt, I never worried about that with King Crawley. And I was always critical of him. Uh, have you heard anything about what the plan is for King Crawley? Or is this going to be more of a, a camp situation or a depth situation? That's how I feel. I really feel yeah. like he's a, a camp guy, a depth guy. Uh, you know, he might make the final roster. He might not. I mean, I just I don't feel like that he's going to be a guy who's going to be a real factor. And you're right, man. It's a guy that you don't want to see on the field. And so uh, I think he'll be the last option. He'll be, you know, just just in case he might be that guy at the very end of the bench that someone has to look down and just kind of shake their head and say, all right, Ken, you're in the game, son. Go ahead and try not to mess it up too bad. So. Yeah, oh, I don't. I don't think he's going to make the squad. But uh, I mean, especially with what the Raiders were able to do as far as uh, free agency goes, and undrafted free agents in the draft, and picking up a couple corners, and uh, you know, already having some guys on the roster, I think that the depth will be there uh, as long as you just kind of cross your fingers and hope that there's no injuries. You know, injuries yep. always can can force somebody into action, and and that's what the Raiders' problem has been the last couple of years. And you know, it's funny at the very beginning of this, we talked about what the Raiders did in the offseason. I said how much. They addressed in free agency. The reason why they've had to do so much work in free agency is because their that drafts, their pr- previous drafts, haven't been that good. So right. the depth isn't there. 
you know, and that's that's a that's a sure sign right there. If you have to go out and spend a lot of money in free agency, that means that you don't have team depth, and that means that you haven't drafted very well. Well, 2019, Mike Mayock did a good job as far as drafting him in that front office. John Gruden, they all came together and did a really good job drafting a lot of good guys. Hopefully that's the same case in 2020 because if it is, then you have a pattern. You know, then all of a sudden you're right, on to something right. and you don't have to get crazy in free agency and go and retool a whole linebacking room because you have guys that you made moves for. So hopefully their past couple draft classes will pay off in the long run. They won't have to go out there and spend all that money uh, by way of free agency. Yeah, I'll tell you, man, there's light at the end of the tunnel in a situation exactly like that because we saw it here in New Orleans. The Saints going out spending big money on guys like Jairus Bird and Colby Fleener and bringing in a ton of new guys and, and uh, you know, bringing in a ton of new sort of commodities and everything to have to learn the new system because the draft classes weren't very good. Then all of a sudden the draft classes started clicking and the Saints have definitely been on the right side of that coin here recently. And hopefully this 2020 draft heading into the 2020 season is sort of the uh, catalyst for the Raiders doing the same. Uh, I'm looking forward to this game, man. I can't wait. I'm glad that it's going to be in the new stadium in Las Vegas, whether it's at the beginning of the season without fans or at the end of the season with fans, which is my, what my fingers are crossed for. Either right. way, it's going to be a ton of fun to watch, man. I look forward to this next crossover episode when we get to do it for real, too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm with you. I hope that it's at the end of the, the season and there's a bunch of fans. I mean, because what's better than being in Las Vegas with a bunch of crazy Raider fans and a bunch of Saint fans? All right, y'all. That's going to do it for today's episode here at Locked on Saints. Appreciate y'all, as always, for coming through. Once again, make sure y'all throw your boy Q a follow at your boy Q254. Check out everything he's got going on over at the Locked on Raiders podcast as well. Such a blast talking to him. I uh, hope that y'all had as good a time listening as I had uh, actually getting to visit with the guy. So make sure you check him out again at your boy Q254. Come back tomorrow. We're going to continue to go through a little bit more of the Saints roster. Talk a little bit more about maybe some potential unknowns on the team that uh, maybe you want to hear a little bit more about. So I'll go through more of those folks, and then eventually on Friday, we'll get into our Facebook Friday. But tomorrow, we are finishing up our AFC West crossover series with Cody Roark from over at Locked on Broncos. Very excited to talk to the good friend over there. Uh, you're going to hear a snippet of the show there tomorrow in one of the segments, or maybe two of the segments. Maybe it'll happen kind of like what today's happened, but we'll see. Uh, but you hear a snippet of the show here, and then you're going to get an extended version as well. We're going to post it up over on his YouTube page. We're going to do it as a video sort of podcast as well. So you'll be able to check that out to get a little bit more information as well if you're interested in uh, seeing us joke around and mess around. Cordy and I, and I get along really, really well. So we're excited to be able to do a little something extra for everybody. So that's going to do it for today's episode, y'all. Thank you very much as always for coming through. Once again, I'm Ross Jackson. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Jackson N-O-L-A. Hit me up. Let me know how the family's doing. Let me know how you're living. Let me know how your mom and them. Tell your friends, family, and fellow Saints fans about the show. And if you haven't already, please take a moment to subscribe. Drop that five-star rating and review. I thank you so much for all your support and for helping grow this family. This has been Locked on Saints and Trust Who That Nation. I'll holla at you.